Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 44. Today, we're continuing our summer book club and discussing chapters 11 and 12 from Teaching for Musical Understanding by Jackie Wiggins. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. This is the time where we talk about our high note or our low note of our day-to-day lives. And we're not teaching right now. Right. But, you know, life is still chugging along. So do you have a high or a low? Um, Well, I'm going to talk about a high note, something exciting going on with my family. And Tanya already knows all about this, but I'll just share it with the world. Yay. So um, my son is singing in his first opera this summer. And it's very exciting. This is very. So he was he was able to do this opportunity through the Colorado Children's Chorale, which our children are both a part of. Um, but the Central City Opera, which is in Central City, a little mountain town here in Colorado, has an amazing opera company, summer and gambling. opera company. Yeah, and, and you can gamble there, too. Um, not at the same venue, but no, in the no. same block, I'm sure. But... Um, they invite children from the Colorado Children's Crowd to perform when they need children for their opera. And yeah. this summer they are performing Billy Budd, which is an all-male cast. Mm-hmm. So there's a group of, I think, 12 boys who are invited to sing in the opera, and my son was one of them. Yay. And, you know, this was a big sacrifice on the part of him and our family because that meant less traveling this summer because he has a lot of rehearsals. There late has been night. a lot of rehearsals. Late night rehearsals. Um, but every day I check in with him, how you doing? Are you doing okay? You know, and he is just having a blast. He's learning so much. The things he comes home and talks about are sometimes silly things like the fact that they don't wear shoes on stage, you know, because they're these ragamuffin boys on the ship and, you know, they, they couldn't afford shoes. And he was telling me today that somebody, I don't know if it was the children's crawl director or the, the show director told them each each of the boys to create a backstory for themselves Ooh, of why fun. they're on this ship. So he was telling me his backstory, which was basically, I come from a poor family and my parents can't afford anything, so they put me in a ship, which oh. is probably actually yeah. accurate. He didn't want to be an orphan? Well, I, I kind of suggested that. Because the I best said, stories start with orphans. I know. I said, what if... Your parents died in a shipping accident, <laughs> and like, and then you were just put on the ship because you didn't want to go to the orphanage, so you escaped and you sm- you you snuck your way onto the ship. And he was like, "Oh yeah, that's much better. I'm gonna go with that." <laughs> so yeah, that's funny you brought that up because that's totally what he's gonna say. But anyways, it's just I'm very excited. My husband and I are gonna get to go see the dress rehearsal very soon. Yay! And yeah, we're just we're very excited to see him perform in his first like real stage yeah. performance. Totally, it's cool. That's awesome, yeah. And I'm just living vicariously through him. Like, yeah, I wasn't performing in professional opera companies no. um, ever. But some let of my best memories 10. is opera choruses. I just yeah. loved being in opera choruses. Yeah, and just this opportunity to be on stage, and he's with some of his good buddies from choir, and they have lots of fun on the bus to and from, and yeah, he's yeah. having a blast. Very so it's cool. It's been a lot of fun for us to watch. Wow. How about you, Tanya? <laughs> my well, I have a high. It's a little more tranquil. Oh, okay. Um. Me and my family, we saw the movie yesterday. Not oh, yesterday. I was like, wait, what movie did you see yesterday? <laughs> we saw the movie. You know, it's interesting because it's been getting, like, not great reviews. Right. And 
well, frankly, most of the reviews I read, it seems like the reviewer just uses their space to make as many Beatle lyrics puns as they possibly can. Oh, right, right. right? Anyway, we had to see the movie because not only are we Beatles fans, but my son Jude was named after the song. Yeah. And so um, we were all anxious to see it. Yeah. And it's delightful. And yes, you've got to suspend a lot of disbelief. And that's fine. Um, yeah, with that's the whole Any point. kind of alternate reality or timeline or time travel thing, there's always going to be holes. There's always going to be like, but wait a minute, if the Beatles didn't exist, then how would we have whatever, fill in the blank. Right? Yeah. The Rolling Stones wouldn't be exactly the same as they are and whatever. Well, um, but, but it's a movie. I'm sure it's everyone's fiction. heard of the movie and it's the premise is that... Um, there's an accident, and all the power goes out all over the world for just 12 seconds, and this um, fumbling musician guy who's not doing, he's not being successful in his endeavors to, like, break into the music business, uh, he is uh, hit by a bus yeah. at that point, and uh, when he comes to, and he gets out of the hospital, uh, and this, and he was hit by a bus because of this, you know, electricity going out right. everywhere. Uh, he discovers that no one has heard the Beatles. Right. And the Beatles don't really exist in this alternate timeline. Yeah. And so, so he starts performing all their songs and gaining fame and popularity and money and all this stuff. And yeah. Anyway, it was so much fun because if you like any Beatles songs yeah. at all, it's just I so really much fun. I really want to go see it. I haven't seen it yet, but you I'm going to totally. go see it. Despite yeah. negative reviews, I'll stick with your positive one. It is one. worth seeing. Okay, cool. Yeah. So now for our main theme, and here we are. We are wrapping up our summer book club. Yeah. We are reading, talking about chapters 11 and 12, as well as the epilogue. This really has lasted all summer. It really has. I think we thought originally we would do this in three episodes, but it took us four. Yeah, this, this it's dense. Some, yes, this was some meaty reading. But um, we'll just kind of quickly talk about our impressions of each chapter, and then do kind of a final wrap-up wrap of any takeaways that we really want to try to incorporate into our classroom this coming school year. Totally. All right. So chapter 11 is specifically about complex musical problems. Mm -hmm. So in the chapters previously, we were talking about entry-level music problems and then middle-level musical problems, and then there were some things about planning units, and now we're at the complex musical problems. Yeah, and so basically a lot of this is, um, and with older students too, because yes. every lesson is grade four and up, is really tackling understanding form, understanding chord structure, and understanding it to the extent of being able to compose right. within the form or the tone structure, um, you know, or using the harmonies and using, well, we start with a biothematic form and something with an A. Not bio. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that gets um, into a whole, uh, a whole different thing. A life of themes. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Bi-thematic, yes. of course, is what I meant to yeah, say. I know. I just had to. I never say it that way. I mean, I, not that I, no. What I mean is I never use the term bi-thematic. I don't either. I, I was... say A, B. Yeah. Right. Anyway. But sure. Okay. But, but yes, of course. Binary, right? Binary. Yeah. So, you know, so there's lessons on hearing it. And it's interesting because she uses, I think this is excellent, where she says, use familiar songs in a binary form. Mm -hmm. 
songs of the verse and refrain are good choices. And then we bring it into instrumental music. And the emphasis is that we want to make sure that once you're doing instrumental music with no text, that um, kids are able to attach to the melody. Right. In order to like hear those different themes. Right. And that even in, the it's fraught with issues with lyrics when we're listening to songs that have an A section and a B section is that they might hear verses yes. as different sections because of the lyrics. The different lyrics, right. yeah. So focusing on the music rather than the I text. wish she would have given, I mean, it's almost impossible because popular music changes so quickly. But I kind of wish there was like a short list. But, you know, you could totally, it wouldn't take long to come up with a short list of, you know, verse, refrain, songs that you could use with a class. I mean, that's like almost every song yeah. in 19... 19- something on really you have to watch for the lyrics well that's what yeah then you just have to no i mean like inappropriate lyrics not like yeah yeah um and i think it's just important to to state and i reminded myself many times while i was reading this chapter that this is working with the assumption that at this point like you said grades four and up these students have been dealing with this idea of musical problems and you know this constructivism view since they were younger. So, mm-hmm. like, when I was reading this, I was going, well, I don't know that my fourth graders could do that. I don't know that my fifth graders could do that. But the point being that, no, maybe my current fourth and fifth graders wouldn't be able to dive into this. But if they're used to composing together. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not that it's that far off, but I just it was just a reminder for myself that sometimes when I was reading some of these suggestions, I was like, wow, that's that's really some complex thinking. Or I'm I, not that I want to sell my students short, but just we haven't... They're not used to thinking that way, perhaps, at this point. Right. But maybe they will in the future. Yeah, and then this lesson uses tree pack from the Nutcracker, which mm-hmm. I've done lessons on form with that piece as well. Oh, totally. It's really accessible. So. Yeah. I think it's just taking it, and I just like this general model of having some sort of a an example, whether it be a listening piece or a song that they're able to sing or perform or move to or whatever, having kind of a musical example and then using that as the inspiration for the students composing, creating, improvising, creating their own music based on that. Right. That that theme. Well, and that seems be. to be the model throughout the book. Exactly. Is that, like, we experience, we experience, and now we do it ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, world music pedagogy was very similar. That we yes. listen, we listen, we listen, you know, we understand, and then we see if we can do it ourselves, recreate. Yeah. 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 So something specific I want to I want to point out that I put a little heart next to in the margin is something that I know I've mentioned is, you know, when it gets to the sum page 177, when it gets to the point where they are creating, composing, you know, to make it feel real and authentic for the kids to make sure that I am dedicating enough time for that sharing piece, whatever it might be. Yes. Um, so she said in here, dedicate one class session to recording the finished products, producing a video recording that contains compositions done by all the members of a particular grade level, and then you can share that. Um, and then later on she says, informing learners from the outset that they will have an opportunity to make their work public through video or even a live performance serves to focus their energies from the beginning of the project. Right. So that's just something that I know I want to incorporate more in my classroom is when we do these composition projects we have a way to share it Mm -hmm. and then later on a way to reflect on it yeah and I was thinking about this as well in the context of recording it as opposed to having a live performance because I have not very often videoed like I have done sound recordings 
with yeah. classes a lot and then we listen and reflect but I haven't done like a video recording of a composition and I think that would be really worthwhile because it takes well it, it kind of takes away with a live performance the the nerves and the goofiness I mean I'm sure they'll still be nervous and they it seems like they have more opportunity to really focus on the music that they're making mm -hmm. um, if they have a few chances a few opportunities to record themselves like yeah. they could record themselves like using an iPad and then go oh you know we really messed that beginning part up let's go back and do it again whereas in a live performance I don't know about you but I have had times where kids start getting giggly and they just can't go on right this is true yeah I do a lot of video of of performing whether it's just a song that we've been working on or compositions just for my own record keeping and mm -hmm. for grading purposes. Yeah. But to take it that step further and let the kids know that, yes, this will be shared. You know, and again, in my school, because we use Class Dojo, I can say to the kids very easily, I'm going to share this video with your parents. Mm -hmm. You know, just yeah. it ups the ante, right? It totally does. Um, something else I really appreciate is, you know, through this entire book, she gives musical examples of what the students actually created in response to whatever lesson she's talking about. And every time I look at these samples of student work, I go, wow, that's really impressive. Mm -hmm. You know, I yeah. hope that my students will be able to do that. Oh, yeah, I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. But what I really <laughs> appreciate is on page 179, she gives an example of an unsuccessful piece, and it just made me feel like, I okay, was like, here yeah. we go. Here's the oh, real life. <laughs> hey, that's my world, man. Right. Where I set it up, and they do something, but it's not what we It's not what we asked. They're they each just kind of. They clearly don't get it. Yeah. yeah, in this example, she's talking about a group of students where they're kind of each just playing something random, but they're not really listening to each other they're not really they're not creating a ternary piece like they were supposed right. to do and they each have their parts and they they figured out specific parts yeah. oh but i love it when she says like obviously they're all on their own tempo yeah i can see by their body movements yeah. that they're just they're just in their own little world yeah. and yeah i just i just want to say i always appreciate that when like that real life experience of yeah sometimes this might bomb. You know, you yeah. might have a group of students that just do not get it. Well, and I wrote something in the margin here that maybe it would be important to compose like this the, using the same parameters as a whole class first. Yeah. Because you're modeling what they're going to do in a small. I mean, if you have time. Exactly. But, but model again, what's if you've given happen. them lots of these composing opportunities throughout their many years with you, by the time they're getting to fourth, fifth grade, this should be old hat. You're just digging in with deeper concepts right, right. Dif different dimensions as yeah. she would call it you know and another way to scaffold that would maybe be you provide them with the a section or as a class you compose the a section right. and their job is just to come up with the b section now yes. of course one might argue i'm being my own devil's advocate that that's not enough student driven you know that's more teacher driven well, but again, I mean, especially if you are working more with older beginners or mm -hmm. trying to incorporate this with older grades starting But it's if, now, if it's in service, and that's been this whole yeah. book, if it's in service to get them to yes. take take the lead to eventually and get then them create there. on their own, then yeah. of course that's, that's necessary. Because of course, again, me being what I call myself a bit of a control freak, just giving the kids complete free reign is a little scary. Because first of all, do they have enough tools to be successful? That's all me, right? But also just keeping them focused on the task at hand and not getting giggly and silly, like you said. Right. Like Those are kind of the things that I feel like I just have to kind of work through in my own classroom. See yeah. where they're at. Yep. 
Um, she went into a really um, interesting couple of lessons where she's talking about chord structures. And this is something that I just always say I need to do more of in my right. classroom is chord work. And I do some. Yeah. However, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't go this far. Yeah. And I know why. <laughs> it's hard. It's really challenging. Yeah, she I talks... was kind of alarmed that she uses um, numbers instead of solfege. I was surprised about that, too. I know she mentioned it in an earlier chapter with older beginners that numbers might be a better tool, and I do see the argument for that. Well, and I was waiting for her to address that because she talks about using the, the Roman numerals, right? Yeah. And that's always been one of my arguments against using I mean, there's several arguments that are even more sound but like one of the issues with using numbers for scale degrees is that when you start talking about chord structures and you start talking about the one chord the four chord the five chord right and then you're talking about the numbered pitches right the do one kids chord get has confused? one three five and the five right. chord has five well i mean maybe yes and no i guess if they know that the one chord is built i mean on one that's why we have the roman numerals instead of the numbers exactly but yeah. why not use solfege if Yes, agreed. Why not use solfege? Yeah, she hasn't. She, I mean, she mentioned solfege briefly in one of the other chapters as one of the tools you can use, but she definitely was focusing on numbers with this particular lesson. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just, you know, this idea of introducing, well, starting with the tonic and the dominant and just kind of getting kids to hear it. And the kids, I think, wait, they will grasp that that's relatively good. quickly, but then when we bring in the subdominant, subdominant then that's it gets... where it's fraught with. Yeah. Issues. Again, if they've had tons of experience, and this is assuming that they have, but this is something, again, like we said, whenever there are these assumptions, um, lesson assumes, she always has a section in there that says lesson assumes. Um, so, for example, in the lesson 11.7 on page 190, lesson assumes considerable experience hearing and playing one, four, and five, seven chords. Mm -hmm. But I want to know what that is. Like, what are just those, like, little things that you can do? Maybe they're not part of these huge problem-solving experiences, but are you talking about warm-up activities? Is she talking about having them do songs and games? Yeah. I'm just curious what those little daily things that build things up to look, that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. well, right. And then the other thing that you and I talked briefly about off mic, and I'm just going to read this. Um... Not all, this is what you're saying to the class, not all songs can be accompanied by just those two sonorities. In most simple Western music, the tonic is the most prevalent harmony and the dominant, the second most common. The third most common chord is what we call the resting chord. Demonstrate the sound as you talk about the differences. We will call this the resting chord because it is a comfortable place to rest, but it's not home. It does not push us home with quite the same force as the away chord does, but it is still not home. In our classroom, the signal for the resting chord will be crossing your arms across your chest, as in rest in peace. The resting chord is built on the fourth note of the scale. Can you hear that in the bass as I play? That's a lot of That's a lot talk. of stuff. That's a lot of information yeah. to break down. I mean, I read it and then I had to stop and go back and, and read go, it again. Okay, we're talking. Okay. <laughs> Look at all the things we're talking about. Yeah. And that's... we're just and the talk it's talking. It's talking. Like It's a lot of teacher talk. But, you know, that that's being maybe it's being a little nitpicky because maybe this wouldn't happen in one fell swoop. Well, it doesn't have to happen in one fell swoop. You can right. say, "Hey, you should be responding to what your learners are doing. If your learners well, are going, oh, yeah, and they're showing you that four chord and they're yeah. ready to go, then you know they're good. But well, and that's not hearing And that's it, huge is that you, the looks on their faces will tell oh, you. Oh, yeah. 
either the blank stare or the... <laughs> I get that one a lot. <laughs> but I love to see, you know, the 12-bar blues chart. Just... I was curious what you thought of that lesson because you do a very similar I really, mini yeah. unit with your students. You've I talked do. about it on this podcast. Yeah. And it reminded me very much of what you did. But now students. here's the thing. Like, I scaffold the hell out of it, honestly. Right. And I think it's necessary. I mean, we play just yeah. the roots of each chord, like a lot. Yeah. That's something I wrote on the margin the was one lesson, question mark. This this lesson where yeah. she's talking well, that about was the, the other blues thing, then. is 11.11 if you're looking in your books. And she does a lot of stuff in that lesson. I was thinking that would need to be broken down most likely. Yeah, let's talk about the blues because, I mean, I'm a big fan of teaching the blues. And yeah. I've, I've done it in a lot of different ways to see what sticks best. And I appreciated I was, how she sorry, talked about bringing in the political, yeah. the history of it. and. However, I was surprised that she talked about bringing that in later. To me, that would be the doorway exactly. in. If you're that, and that's what terms. I was about to say is that that's always been my doorway in. Yeah. Is just to not say. Not just the baseline and knowing where the chords are. No, because that's not going to pique their interest like, no. like it is to be hearing, hey, why? Why do we call it the blues? What's this all about? Let's listen to the lyrics. Like that's yeah. always been the most intriguing well, thing. Well, and for the tracing students. the blues to the music they're listening to now. Mm-hmm. I mean, what that that's always something. Yeah, my kids you know are what? I always do that, and they just don't believe me. Really? Yeah. I mean, you would have to get really specific, maybe, for them to really see it one hundred percent. Yeah. But no, but I agree. That was I. I put a question mark next to that when she said at this point it's appropriate to interject some of the historical and cultural significance after you've done all this work with listening for identifying and playing the chords on barred instruments right that's a long time that's a lot of stuff and then you're finally going to talk about the historical i definitely would flip-flop that but that's me i think no i think it's super important to uh yeah lead with that yeah another thing that i i just commented and we we mentioned this in the last recording as well as just the lack of singing in general right that a lot of these things are being done instrumentally and i understand that that's for many students that piques their interest that might be simpler but for example when she's talking about this ground base unit of lessons you know she says they can take turns playing the ground base or <laughs> i run in the margin they could be singing it on solfege yes you know exactly. she's talking about using pachelbel's canon and d well that's something you could easily have the kids well, maybe depending on where they're starting pitches. Okay, but... well, let's talk about the singing, though, that she does get into with vocal harmonies. Where was that? I'm sorry. Am I... She talks about having them sing all the vocal harmonies. Was I... that in the blues one? Maybe. No, I forgot you know we what? were talking I... about that. Or was that in a chapter in the last Maybe that was in the we last one. About. I was a little bit taken aback. I was like, wow, really? Oh, here it is. It is Singing Chordal Harmonies, the first session. It's on page 190, Singing Chordal Harmonies. And it's um, using... Oh, this um, Freedom is Coming. A South African protest song. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And getting the kids to sing the one, four, and five chords. And I went, wow. Right, that's a big leap. (laughs) That's that's great that they can... Yeah. I mean, singing, singing chordal harmony, even at what grade are we doing? Grade five and up. Yeah, singing chordal harmony. I mean, that's that's not your well, doorway into to teaching singing harmonies by any means is no. by having them sing chords. So I no, just think that, again, lesson assumes. 
Well, it does say this. Lesson assumes experience singing simple melodies using scale numbers. In my world, it would be solfege. Yeah. Um, I mean, is, is it possible? Sure. But well, again, you've got to scaffold that. Yeah. Maybe yeah, day do. one, they just sing the top line. I, I did highlight cause on this lesson, she says, um, sometimes learners are able to perform more accurately at first if you provide each group with a bard instrument or a keyboard to use as a crutch when necessary. And yeah, I, 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 I don't. Yeah, I mean, I also highlighted that with a question mark. That that to me, I guess maybe we. I just feel like overall, and this is our our Kodai brain probably speaking, not enough singing and selling the learners short when yeah. it comes to their ability to sing in tune. Right. But then also expecting them to sing three part harmony. Yeah, I mean, singing in tune is is <laughs> is one thing. Singing in tune chordal harmony is so that you can understand them. Right. And um, they won't sing in tune if you always give them an instrument as a crutch. Well, crush. and then the other thing that I that always comes up for me is that when you have a student at an instrument, and I mean a simple bard instrument, and you give them something to play, the singing goes away. Right. You really have to work at that. There right. has to be a, a lot of repetition for them to sing and play at the same time. Right. I mean, I've been at workshops where it's all music teachers and we're everyone's sitting in oh, yeah. and the singing goes away Oh, because totally. everyone's focused. You're always going to focus on the instrument. Yeah. Well then, you know, an easy fix for me. And it's a, it's a logistical thing is I don't have enough instruments right, for everyone exactly. to play. Some so sing, yeah, some you play. keep, you keep a group singing, but yeah, but just overall, just throughout all of these examples, I just do appreciate, like I mentioned before, this idea of having some sort of a, an example piece, a, a anchor piece, Again, whether it's a, a folk song or a listening piece or anything, and then using that as the springboard to have the students create something. Right. I just think that's a great way to, and then sharing it and yes. reflecting on it. And I have done this specifically with the blues. Yeah. And how she outlines playing along with the blues and then writing their own blues. Uh -huh. um, you know, she doesn't mention, though, coming up with lyrics. She does, actually. Does she, and it, it cracks me that? up because I remember you talking about how your students are can be very simplistic. Yes. You, she mentions it on um, page 202. Oh, okay. Um, she said learners that. should realize that they could quite easily write their own blues song simply by thinking of two lines of text that will fit with the progression. But it's not just, well. They okay. have to also understand the rhythmic aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah and that's what. Yeah. How to fill it all in. Well, yeah. And and that fitting, there's so much to it. It's, yeah. It's not just the length of the line. It's how they're singing it. And uh, most of the time, they don't they don't sing a long enough line. But then let me ask you this. If, if you're approaching it in this, you know, student-centered learning way, when you ask the students to perform their lyric and it doesn't fill in the space or fill mm -hmm. in the phrase, do they notice that? I mean, no. they surely they must. Um, well, sometimes they do. Okay. But this is, see, and this is the thing about, like, being there as the, as the teacher to guide. Yeah. Is I have them show me their lyrics, and we gather around the piano. Like, I have the group gather around the piano, and I just play the progression while we all sing it so that they can feel. Yeah. Because even though they've had lots of experiences, we do Joe Turner's blues. Uh -huh. We sing Hound Dog. We do all of these like blues songs. And yet when we get to this point where they're writing their own blues, I think the thing is they're sitting down and they're not singing it when they're composing it. Right. So they go like, I woke up, I feel bad. 
and then they don't realize there's like four more bars they gotta wait out i woke up at you whatever yeah not huh. four more bars but you know what I, I mean. no, I know like you, yeah. a, a long expanse yeah, the long so price. and and then before we even break them in i break them into groups to do their own lyrics we do them as a class mm -hmm. and i you know just like what's something you're bummed out about okay mm -hmm. here's our theme who's got a line all right let's see how that works and then i show how um you know my you have to spin it out yeah my my internet broke and how oh yeah we gotta wait 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 my internet broke and wait 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 it's a joke Wait, wait, you know, and then we realize, huh, maybe we should say more. more stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, and yeah, so you would think, doesn't it seem, this is the whole thing that, that I come across is when you read it in a book like this, it just, doesn't it seem like it would go so well? Oh, right. And then, Which and is then again why it, I appreciated that. Not and example. I'm not trying to be negative or, uh, it's just that. You, boy, you just don't know until you do it in the yeah. classroom. And then, like, all the, all the things that you were concerned about, not necessarily an issue. And then new <laughs> things that you're like, I would have never imagined totally that this problem would be the problem that we have to work out. Right. But that's how teaching is, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Chapter 12. Yes. Let's. Because um, that was my favorite chapter of this whole book. Yeah. And it seemed, I mean, I understood why it connected, but it was like, boom. All of a sudden, it was like, truth bomb city. So <laughs> I know. I kept writing. Let's see. Preach. Oh, oh and I had to add some quotes in yeah. here that so, I wanted to relate to. To set it up, this uh -huh. chapter is called Connecting to Other Ways of Understanding. And it was co-authored with... I would assume her husband. Yeah, Robert that's Wiggins. that's what I assumed. Okay, um, maybe I shouldn't make that assumption, but somebody with the same last name yes. who obviously thinks in a similar way. So this whole idea of interdisciplinary connections. Yes. Oh, um, it was a beautiful thing. Oh, to it see was. All that. And I mean, this is just something that I think I will keep handy in case I ever have. A principal who says, why don't you help teach some multiplication facts through a song? Yeah, yeah. So, Are you going to read some things? Because you should. I have so many quotes. Well, first of all, I mean, she, she and he, they break it down to kind of what's been done in the past about how to create what we consider to be these interdisciplinary things. So a teaching tool would be like what I just said, like a song to to uh to sing to memorize your multiplication facts well that's not teaching music that's teaching multiplication exactly facts. and it's using music as a tool but it's not teaching music so that can't be considered to be an interdisciplinary connection right am i right. saying all this correct yes. okay stop me if i'm wrong she also talks about having a topic connection so that would be you know, your sweet, wonderful kindergarten teen coming up to you and saying, we're doing a unit on dinosaurs. How about you sing some dinosaur songs in music class? Yes. Again, lovely idea. However, that's not teaching music. Exactly. Can I read a little thing? Yeah. Okay, because it's awesome. Read it. Um, <laughs> this is from the text Music in Preschool. Oh, by yes. Katsi Forai. Yes. And she talks about the danger of songs that were written um just to help children remember specific concepts yeah so i'm gonna read i'm gonna try to you're gonna read this whole thing i'm uh, no i'm gonna cut it down uh okay. songs <laughs> songs are written sometimes to pre-existing melodies which it was felt would help the children to remember these concepts in a playful and easily recalled form thus a song might 
originally have been a bit of a role playing. This is the way we wash our clothes, wash our clothes, wash our clothes, may have been changed or extended to this is the way we brush our teeth, brush our teeth, brush our teeth. All right, which is not that bad, but then this is the way we button our shirts or this is the way we do our math. This tradition of using songs to tell the children what to do to be good little pupils or good little citizens persists strongly. When you ride in a car, what's the first thing you do? Buckle your seatbelt, that's what you do, is a song that is routinely taught in preschools and kindergartens even today. I'm not familiar with that one. I don't know that song. That's why I couldn't say it. The purpose is purely didactic, not artistic. The music and whatever, quote, poetry might be in such a song is quite incidental to the safety, health, social message that the text is promoting. Rather than such songs, which Kodai considered akin to aesthetic poison, the young children's nearly infinite capacity to absorb everything in the environment and to incorporate it into his developing sensitivity and values cries out for the rich nourishment of real art. Okay, I'm going to stop there. But just the whole thing of um, it's not musical. It's not in the service of the artistic soul. It's just a tool. Yeah. And it's not teaching music by any means. Yes. Yeah, I was just, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I did the, that's all fabulous. And I'm just going back and reading more about what I was just saying about the dinosaurs. That yeah, no, I just got all fired up. Connection. Right, the thematic connection. Um, right. And topical I, connection, she talks about bringing two subjects together. But what I do appreciate is she says the connection often benefits one discipline more than another, putting one discipline in service of another. That's, and and that's is, what I was yeah, trying to connect exactly. to is this idea of music being in service to teach other things, yes. whether it be about like how to be good citizens or dinosaurs or rock formations yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And you know what? I know that classroom teachers might use those from time to time. I'm fine with that. But, but don't expect me to don't do Don't come walk down the hallway and say, here's your music literature. No one's done that to me in quite some time. I haven't either. And honestly, if, if they do, it's so few and far between. And they ask so respectfully that I usually say, if I have time. It's kind of like yeah. maybe that will be the little dessert or whatever at the end of music class after we've done all the things that I feel like I want to do and need to do. Right. It might be just a, oh, I heard you've been singing the song about the solar system in class. Would you like to sing it for me? Yeah, that's And if fine, for nothing yeah. else, just to show the students that we are a collaborative staff. You know, oh, I know yeah. that sounds cheesy, but, you and, know, And just... there's a difference between being a collaborator and being a carpet. Yeah. So young teachers out there, it's... <laughs> we're talking to you. You have to. And I'm talking to myself. You kind of have to balance it. You don't mm-hmm. want to be known as, oh well, she doesn't have anything to do, or he doesn't have anything to do, really, with music. Mm-hmm. I mean, with a music curriculum. Um, why don't you just like get him to teach those songs? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then once they go into you know these examples of what has been done and why it's dangerous now it's time to talk about what actually can be done and done really well yes, so they talk exactly. about having connections through processes and connections through concepts conceptual yeah. connections and i loved that and oh did you get on page 208 all of these essential questions yes which of course when i hear things like essential questions and the big ideas, I kind of go, ah, because it just sounds a little bit like, you know, all those professional yes, developments yes. that I've sat through. and done. I know, but. <sighs> but it is important, and what I appreciate now is that they're tying it all back to this idea of meta dimensions, mm-hmm. and that these meta dimensions of music are the same meta dimensions that exist in basically every other exactly, discipline. Exactly, which brings us to this arts-infused curriculum where we can 
use each other's disciplines yes. to connect. And hallelujah, there are a gazillion examples. In yes, fact, there are so there many are. examples, I started to go, okay, I think I get it now. <laughs> but after complaining earlier that there were not enough concrete examples, I just really appreciated, and not just about music connecting no, to no. other subjects, about art connecting to theater, and about, you know, PE connecting to to poetry i mean it's, yeah it's no that like, was a beautiful thing yeah so if you, you know, work I, in like an arts integrated school this i think this chapter this right here gold. this book is gold and would be worth purchasing this and book you know for, what's really kind no of sad reason. i think to my own education and i think about what age was i when i made the connection that like this thing in art was similar to this thing in music yeah I think I was mm, high school, college, right. honestly. Yeah. And wow, if we could start making those connections and having kids come to that understanding yeah. sooner, just think where they could go. And honestly, when it happens now, if and when it happens now, it happens because the students pointed out to me. Mm -hmm. So like if I'm talking about pattern and music, like, oh, we're talking about pattern and art. Mm -hmm. And it's like I, you know, scurry down to the art teacher during my planning period and go, wait a minute, are you also, you know, and then... She and I are trying to do a lot more planning together, but it's not just art. It should be everybody. Yeah. And again, in service of both disciplines, not music supporting what's going on in the classroom, but right. going both ways. I just think it's great. Me too. So then it, we wrap up with some, some closing thoughts. Well, here, at the end of Chapter 12, I think there's just some lovely quotable things here that just kind of wrap up the whole thing. Um, the music teacher who has created an authentic problem-solving activity is likely to be addressing questions of importance that stem from the curiosity of his or her students about how the world works. Totally. <sighs> I mean, yeah. that's, that's but, you know, all of a sudden it's kind of like putting it on us. And then the epilogue, I mean, she, she really does drive the point home about asking questions. What are you going to do? What will your music classroom be like? Right. Um, how will you teach? Yeah. Who will be responsible for making musical decisions? Yes. I and know. I really, I mean, I almost want to like print out all these questions and like stick them in my planning book. It's just a reminder throughout the year to make sure that while no, we may not have agreed on how all of these problem-solving experiences were, were carried out, mm -hmm. we can still take the gist of it and incorporate it into what we're already doing, yep. which so much of the Kodai, you know, minded thinking and teaching is, is about student curiosity and student discovery, but yet it's still very teacher-centered. Yes. So I well, think yeah, there's definitely be. opportunities, especially in our Kodai world, where we can step back. Totally. So now it's time for our CODA section, where we recommend something we've been enjoying, personal or professional. Yes. What, so what you got, Tanya? Well, I mean, it is summer, and I should be talking about all the fun things, but I'm going to talk about a to-do list app, because yes. I love it. So I've been using, for a while, I've been using this app called Google Keep, uh -huh. and, you know, I'm someone who, I'm always trying to, like, figure out... Do I want to do my list by hand? Do I want to do them electronically? Because I love writing by hand, and I think there's real benefit to handwritten things. But honestly, I'm always misplacing the crap. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of, I have a lot of colored index cards. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know, I, I inherited a bunch of them from my dad, who oh. was an office supply freak. 
Okay. Because, you know, that happens. And he retired, and he's like, take all these note cards. So I have all these note cards, so I'm always writing myself little lists mm-hmm. and writing in. I love check boxes. I want to check it off. I want to cross it out. Yeah. Right? However, then I misplace my, my note card, and I find it like three months later. Yeah. Um, so Google Keep is an app, and it simply, it's very simple because you just create lists, different lists of different areas in your life. And I have tried Trello. Yeah, I tried that for like a week and I was yeah. like, that's and, too much. You know, and that it is fun and on. everything. And and if I had a business I could totally I yeah. mean, if I was serious about any kind of side hustle, I totally see how that would be useful. Right. But I spent too much time just figuring out like how to just put in a to do and then later the on how to find the to do. That's yeah. the other thing is that in that app, I was losing my to-dos. And if I can't see it, it's not on my mind. Yeah. And I don't do it. But with this Google Keep, you just, you can color your notes. Well, I like it. I'm looking at it on your phone, and it looks like sticky notes. Yeah, it looks like big old colored, it looks like my note cards. It's right. just typed up. And um, Can you share these lists with other people? Well, let's see. Yes, because you can. That's because that's a big thing for me. I have shared with my husband. Right. Cause... Yeah, like we, my husband and I use just like the reminders or whatever oh, it's yeah. called. I on... use that too. So look, see, you can yeah. make a copy, you can send, you can collaborate. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so as I mean, I, I like it because it's simple. Yeah. And it's on my phone, and um, I don't have to open a different, you know, a note inside a note inside a note, because I know I'm not going to. Yeah. Anyway, so Google Keep, that's right. my favorite thing right now. Cool. Because I'm trying to get into the gear of, like, thinking about, thinking about, thinking about school. Thinking about thinking about school. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta rev up. I love it. All right. And you? What's oh, man. your fun, Mine awesome thing? Mine is gonna be so cheesy and ridiculous. That's great. But, I love it. you know, it's summer and it's the time to watch television that I wouldn't normally watch, right? Sure. So, um, I'm really excited about all these retro, um, game shows coming back onto TV. So, specifically, ah. ABC, like the channel ABC, has like all of these game shows coming back for summer. They actually call it Summer Fun and Games. Wow. And I don't, like, have regular TV. I just stream things through the ABC app on my Apple TV. Don't we all? So I don't know if there's, like, a certain night of the week all this happens, but there are tons of game shows, like, from my childhood, from, I mean, from everybody's childhood that are coming back, but specifically Press Your Luck is back. Do you remember Press Your Luck? No. It's the, like... No whammies, no whammies, big money, and there's, like, this big board. Well, they mean, they have to answer questions to get spins, and then they, like, it's kind of like Wheel of Fortune, but it's, like, electronic on this board, and if they land on a whammy, these little cartoon it's like creatures. like gambling, like... Well, I mean, kind of, yeah. They have to decide how far they want to go, and, um... But the point being, there's these little whammies, and I just remember, as a child, these whammies cracked me up, because they're these little cartoon characters, and they steal the people's money, and they do little funny things and anyways it just cracked me up that this show came back but of course like they've upped the ante and now it's like you can win a million dollars I mean Ah. maybe not quite but like it's much bigger than it was and they have all of these personalized prizes so like the person who goes to like the final round like they learn a lot about this person obviously ahead of time so like the first episode I watched it was um 
a gay couple who had just adopted a baby, and so, like, one of the prizes was baby stuff for three years. Oh. And then the one guy who was playing, he said, I just really would love to take my husband to Paris. A trip to Paris pops right, on right, the board. Right. And so, like, there's emotional connections in addition to the nostalgic stuff, Like, you would so. go on and be like, we got a Kodai cruise yeah. with some... Guy, a mentors. trip to Hungary and a year's <laughs> worth of tuning for colders. Right. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. So anyways, I'm just geeked out about, like, I'm looking at their list and Match Game is on there. Okay, 100,000 Pyramid have... to Tell the Truth. This is before your time, but, and it was like, when I was much younger, there was a show called Name That Tune. Oh, I didn't know that was an actual show. I just oh, thought yeah. it was like, oh, no, I can name that tune in five mm-hmm. notes. Or because five, they give, yes. I was really, when I was a kid, I was really good oh, at I that. Oh, I bet you were. Yeah, it was they, so okay, much fun. Well, that one needs to come back, too. Are you listening? Yeah, but you know what? ABC? Here's the sad thing. I think people are, um, I think the general public is, is like, not. I, I bet people could get I, into that. I mean, it's going to be popular music. I mean, it would have think to be they popular could do it? music. I'm wondering huh. if they could find people who could do it. Oh, I think so. Based on, okay, so my specific memory of doing that very cheesy dance party in the gym on the last day of school, uh-huh. like the first chord of Old Town Road would come oh, on and the goodness. kids would all start screaming. Must we ah! say the name of this song I'm sorry. every I just, that example just popped in my head. Like, <laughs> like the same way, like everyone, like every music theater nerd knows, like you hear the first two chords of Seasons of Love exactly. and you're like, oh. And then like, you tear up. Exactly. So anyways. Old school game shows back on TV. That's my coda. If you have ABC streaming, they're all on there. And I've watched um, a couple with my daughter, who's seven, and she thinks it's awesome. Just as I did when I was a kid. So I'm enjoying some nostalgia. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at Teaching Music, Tanya's Kodai Aspiring Blog. Connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. Next time, we'll be talking about planning for the first week of school and planning for the whole year. It'll be a big one. It will. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking.